With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the weekend. Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lamarie, Saints and Bears, Stephen Means. We're going to talk about defense and what would be the perfect, the ideal defense for the Buckeyes to put on the field in the playoff. Who are those 11 guys that if Ohio State makes the playoff, that as we said here in March, you think on first down, first and 10 who would be on the field, and then like the first third and long, who would be on the field. So we want to talk about sub-packages a little bit, and that's going to lead us through our linebacker conversation because Al Washington and the linebackers spoke at the end of this week, but I don't think we could do an hour on linebackers. There's not that. nothing up there. No offense to linebackers, but, I mean, take a little bit of offense. We could do an hour on running backs. So we're going to put them in the context because I do think like, who the linebackers are, who's on the field, that's a big part of who your best 11 are, Nathan. That's like, you know, that's a, a fundamental part. Yeah, we'll get into Rushman package and, you know, who's your slot corner and that kind of thing. But the, the linebackers are a big part of this. And I wasn't on the linebacker call. You and Steven were. But as Al Washington talked about, again, I assume, Nathan, that we're going to be in a spot where it's not just three linebackers who are going to play in the fall, right? Is that a safe assumption at this point? Yeah, and I didn't know how quickly you wanted to jump to this, but I, I went yesterday into those interviews trying to get some intel as to who's playing where. And the two linebackers we got, uh, Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant, were not very forthcoming about that. I was trying to get some answers about the Sam, especially, because I feel like that's the one that we have the most questions about. But Al Washington, when I asked him, gave, I thought, a more enlightening answer, which was, because I asked it as uh, contrasting Pete Werner against Baron Browning and what that might tell us for who they're planning to get there this year. And his answer was basically, well, we're going to find basically that they're going to find the best linebackers and then use them as those guys play, you know, use those guys attributes, however they, they need to be used in the defense more so than we have a picture of what that needs to be. And we're going to go find that, which I guess is sort of what they have done with Werner and Browning. So I think that that, is it was interesting to me because I think it speaks to exactly what you're talking about here and exactly what you just said, which is that you could either read that as in we're going to find one guy who absolutely has to play and then we'll decide how the defense works after that, or 
there may be multiple guys that they end up using at different times, especially at that position. And I think that's really still at linebacker. I think that's still the position where it's the most multiple opportunities, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, right. As we said, I mean, it's like, if you go, who's the, is it a nickel corner? Is it a, another safety coming down? I mean, but yeah, I, I do think that is, that is correct. And, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Like you said, I think that is valuable information from Al Washington, Washington, but it doesn't surprise me because that is what they've done. Mm-hmm. They have, the, you know, they talked about a scheme idea right when they got here and then they didn't sort of play the scheme idea because it didn't fit the personnel. They have leaned personnel first scheme second with stuff like this on in the Ryan day defense. And I would argue, I mean, I guess they sort of did before that too. So um, the idea of, you know, we'll see what we have, I think does make a lot of sense, but, but Steven, as we think about again, coming off the, the three starting linebackers plus veteran, Justin Hilliard as your fourth guy last year, there just wasn't a lot of room. The fact that there's really nobody who's played that much in this room, Steven, do you think that opens it up more that there could be more guys who are part of the answer because nobody maybe is so established. It's like, well, that guy's got to be on the field every snap. Yeah. And I, I think Pete Warner for that Sam linebacker bullet spot is what Sean Wade was for the slot corner in 2019, where you have one guy who can just do everything. And so you don't have to take him off the field. That's where I think the, 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 the problem I don't know if it's a problem, but what they're going to have to figure out is if they have one guy who can do all of that stuff, which simplifies who you want to play, or if you have to find a way to make two and three guys play one job, do one job and just do certain parts of that job. Like we saw with the slot corner where on first and second down, it was one guy. And then on third down, it was another guy. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be one guy. I mean, I don't think Kayvon Pope or Craig Young or Court Williams would be like, Nope, that's it. I got it. Yeah. Right. That like maybe Taraji Mitchell and Dallas Gann will do that at the other two spots. And maybe there won't be a ton of rotation there. But I think at that third spot, I mean, again, if a guy does it, great. If Kayvon Pope is like, hey, you can trust me every snap. What are you doing? Or Craig Young does the same. I, I get that. But Nathan, I'm just, you know, I think I think it's reasonable to expect that. But when it comes to Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant, we know the big news was that Dallas Gant is out for the spring with the foot thing, does that do anything? What do you think is the effect of that linebacker spot, that Mike middle linebacker spot in the fall, the fact that Dallas Gant, the presumptive starter, is dealing with something this spring? Well, I think it definitely – it's bad news for him because I think he was someone who I think probably needed to continue developing. I think the spring was going to be good for him. So I think it could hurt them in that way, but it also, I think helps you develop depth by getting more reps there and, and getting some more guys through. So maybe for the, for the entire team, maybe it's a, it's a wash. I do think it is it. I don't know if it's a problem. Um, I don't know if it ends up being something that you see on the field this fall, as far as having held him back this spring, but again, a guy who has not played extensively, a guy who didn't get to have a spring last year and didn't get to have a normal preseason uh, last year, I, I think getting a full spring would have definitely made him more comfortable and I think made the whole defense more comfortable if he could have been out there. And especially because of the, the kind of leadership responsibility he wants to walk into, I think that it's important to have those guys actually on the field. So it's just something that they have to catch up on in the summer. But I, I don't think it changes personnel-wise. I would still expect him regardless of what they see from some of these other middle linebackers, I would still expect him to take the first middle linebacker snap this fall. If that is opening a door at all at middle linebacker, who's it opening a door for? Who's Cody next? Simon. Cody Simon. 
a top 100 guy who had a role on special teams, which is the doorway to get onto the field at the position you actually play here. A number 75 player in the country, number four inside linebacker in the 2020 recruiting class. I think it helps him because he's probably getting a lot more first team snaps this spring. And Nathan's probably right. Dallas Gank takes the first snap when we open up on game day against Minnesota, but that doesn't mean he's going to be taking the first snap by the end of the year. So you you have a little edge. Oh, it's like, oh, who's it open? Steven has a little edge in his voice about Cody Simon. You think Cody Simon has a chance to throw a monkey wrench into our general expectations of it's Dallas Gantt, Taraja Mitchell time, and they're the dudes. You think there's at least a possibility of that? I do. I understand that those guys were blocked by a three a three-time captain and two guys who are going to be top 100 draft, NFL draft. I get that. But – I think as a beat, sometimes we've leaned too far into that. Oh, the only thing that was keeping them off the field was that was that situation and not maybe they just weren't good enough. And they are in a situation right now where they can get blocked for the first half of their first three fourths of their career. And in that final year, somebody jumps them who's who was rated just as high as a lot of these guys. I don't dismiss that. I guess I would just say that. I, I would, I'd be a little bit surprised if Cody Simon was that much better than Gant was at this point in his career. And I think also intangibles come into play a little bit. I was really impressed by Dallas Gant yesterday. We haven't talked to him extensively in the past, but it reminded me that when I, we had talked to him in the past, I was impressed with him then too. I feel like there's a, he has a presence that I think will be important to have on the field from a, a charisma standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. I think those things will factor into the decision that they make there. I agree, but we also haven't talked to Cody Simon since he's gotten here. I mean, in recruiting, yeah, we've talked, but not since he's actually been on campus and gone through the media training and all that stuff because he wasn't an early enrollee, and we he, we only got the older linebackers yesterday. I'm curious. I'll, I, I'll buy a little curiosity. Now, the other thing we have to take into account is I understand what you're saying, Stephen, but maybe we were like, well, you know, what are they going to do? They're blocked. So it's like Pete Warner and Baron Browning are, are, are I think, talented linebackers right i mean the nfl draft's gonna prove that and tough borland they loved like i just we like it doesn't matter whether we would have opened the door on somebody playing instead of tough borland it just felt like they like never were going to they thought he was like an extra coach and they changed linebacker coaches they changed defensive coordinators while we Mm -hmm. were here and they never changed the linebackers And I think the talent of Pete Werner and Baron Browning would tell you why that was, right? That, listen, I mean, Pete Werner and Baron Browning, I think will be off the board both by the fourth round, maybe third round, and I don't know, maybe second round, right? They're not Ryan Shazier. They're not first-round linebackers. And tough, it it is what it is. I mean, we've only talked about it 4,000 times. I just, in the end, the way it went down, Stephen, I, I don't know. Show me the linebacker who good who could have gotten past Tough Portland. I guess because they did share it for a while, right? I mean, we have to remember Malik Harrison was here, Baron Browning and Tough Portland had yeah. a timeshare at middle linebacker, and that was a five star who was only a timeshare. So I was going to say, well, maybe it would have been like Raquan McMillan as a freshman when Curtis Grant was a senior in 2014, but that's actually kind of what they did. And then you know, I guess so. I guess maybe the answer would be well. They had Baron Browning share middle linebacker last year when Baron Browning moved outside. If Dallas Grant, if Dallas, I called Dallas Grant. I apologize. It's just a misstep. Dallas Grant, if Dallas Grant was awesome, maybe they would have shared middle linebacker, tough Portland and Dallas Grant, the way tough Portland and Baron Browning had shared it the year before. 
And you yeah. just did a hand thing. That's what you're thinking. Like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, even with – no, Baron Browning could never completely get past Tough Borland. But, I mean, we all, we've talked about this a million times. Baron Browning was on the field for the importance of passing down snaps, and they found a role for that five-star. That top 100 kid, they found a role for him. They haven't, at the bare minimum, tried to find a role for these top 100 linebackers in 2018. It's not a crazy point, Nathan. It's not a crazy point. I mean, I, 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 there is – I think it is a good it's, – it's good to, like, you know, try to tap on the assumptions a little bit and just be like, hey, don't just only think, oh, they were blocked, they were blocked, they were blocked. Because I guess, Nathan, I mean, like, again, if you're a world beater, they get you on the field probably some way. Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely a fair thing to remember, and it's definitely a fair thing to remember as far as just from a competitive standpoint that – this is the this is the time of year where you get to kind of throw all those guys into that pile. You know, the way that they talked about it yesterday, I don't know that I buy from a, a standpoint of like, well, anybody can play anywhere. I, I don't really buy that uh, the way that they talk about it. But I do buy that there is, I think, probably still pretty intense competition across the board because I think guys like Cody Simon, Craig Young, uh, Tommy Eikenberg, like these guys who are coming back, as much as we see that all those, like as Steven's saying, like, yeah, that, that's, that senior class clears out. And that opens up an opportunity for these new seniors. It really opens up an opportunity for everybody. I would think everybody could go in and say, well, thank God we don't have all those guys at the top of the depth chart anymore. Things are kind of wide open here for the first time in a couple of years. Let's talk about Tommy Eichenberg quick. That's a St. Ignatius guy, Cleveland guy for the Cleveland.com Buckeye Talk crew here. Um, is that what is that? Is that is he in the mix? It, how, what, what was the discussion around Tommy Eichenberg, who has shown up a little bit in some of like the offseason videos and stuff, right? Yeah. Al um, Washington was specifically asked about Tommy Eichenberg and had mm-hmm. a, a lot of good things to say about him, you know, specifically being kind of from the standpoint of this wasn't a guy who came in with this top, you know, 100 pedigree or a, certainly a five star pedigree and uh, with the expectations that came along with that. And that that sort of has motivated him. And he thinks that maybe sounds like one of those guys who might have used that constructively his first couple of years here and pushed himself uh, beyond where maybe people thought he would be at this stage. Now, a lot of things like that get said about guys in the spring, I think. And it's a matter of all of and everything he said might be 100 percent true. Doesn't mean there will actually be the opportunity for him to play as early as this fall. I think he's tough Borland. Literally. I just think he, I think what it, from a talent standpoint, not how they view him, but just from a, he's, I mean, tough ball in 324, 20, number 22 outside linebacker, obviously into playing Mike, Tommy Eichenberg, three, three, two, seven, 19 inside linebacker in 2019. They're both about six, two, six, three, 235 pounds. I just think he's another tough Borland. And then you have Reed Carrico in the 2021 class, who is what if tough Borland was a top 100 recruit with elite, what, uh, what, who's upside who had some upside athletically to be more than just a guy who just gets ran away from. It's a chance. There's a chance that this is sort of like a transitional year at linebacker, right? That whatever happens is sort of like a one year kind of thing. And again, these guys are going to have eligibility because nobody's eligibility counts and everybody gets to play for 10 years in college football now, but it's possible that like, maybe they're the veterans. Now they're more ready, but that like Cody Simon and then Reed Carrico and the guys that are coming, like they're, maybe they'll have more of an impact in 2022. It it is an interesting time. Uh, Nathan, you wrote about sort of like, right. That they have like a leadership thing. And like that, that those, those four guys who left just like ran the room 
you know, and again, we don't want to forget about Malik Harrison, who was like a really good player at Ohio State. When Malik Harrison was at Ohio State, he was their best linebacker. And then he went to the NFL, and he was a high pick in the NFL. And so, like, I don't want to, you know, they did lose him from 2019, but he was a really good player. But these other four guys, I mean, the guys they are losing now, all played a lot, all were around forever, all were leaders. Like, is there really, is there like a leadership veteran vacuum because those guys were so special and like they're you can't replicate them or is it just like well they were there for a long time and so nobody else had to do it because again the four guys that are losing are good they are not ryan shazier they are not aj hawk they are not james Laurinaitis. they are not chris spielman i get that they're good guys and they were around it's not like ohio state isn't capable of having better linebacker play than they did the last couple years and i'm not saying those guys were bad but sometimes the Ohio State linebacker play is awesome. And I don't know that it was awesome the last couple of years. So, like, what's the real deal on how difficult it is to replace those four? Well, I think from just a leadership standpoint, I think Tuff Borland was special. I think that's why he was on the field. I think he's a guy that they would probably put in the small percentage of all those kinds of intangibles, which is why they kept running him out there the way they did. Not that he wasn't a capable player and a good player, but that that sort of thing definitely enhanced his value. It's why the coaching staff was, as you kind of said, in love with him to the extent that they were. So I think just losing him is a tough thing to replace. I think Pete Werner also was someone who was respected a lot. I think Justin Hilliard was a captain. I mean, there. so you're talking about three guys off of the defense right there going. And then Baron Browning, I don't know that he was ever looked at quite in the same way from those kind of leadership intangible standpoints. But still, those other three guys, I think – not just off of this defense, but off the entire team. I think that was a lot of your leadership. And it's 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 that, and it was also, you also lose Jonathan Cooper. You also lose Sean Wade. I mean, the, the, throughout the entire defense, it's not that these guys have to now step in and, and shoulder all of that, but they have to shoulder a pretty big chunk of it like because of just how much of that came out of the leadership of the linebacker group. I don't buy it. I don't buy uh, actually the leadership conversation in college football because A – Everybody leaves like nobody stays. It's the, so like, of course your veteran guys graduate and your younger guys have to come in and lead. And I'm not saying a hundred percent of the time, the leadership stays just as good, but like 85% of the time it does. And if we think about who are the other guys that like people talk about from a leadership standpoint, like JT Barrett was a great leader, right? And we've compared him to tough Borland before. And as soon as JT Barrett left, they had Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields. And I don't know if they were as good a leaders, but they were better quarterbacks. John Simon was a guy who was like on Tim Tebow level for Urban Meyer. John Simon was unbelievable. He was the heart and soul of the 2012 Ohio State Buckeyes as a defensive end. He was great. And as soon as he left, they got Joey Bosa. And it was, he was better. And I don't think he was a better leader than John Simon. He was a better football player. So I think the leadership discussion, somebody has to lead. They don't get to work out when guys graduate and have it be like, oh, is, uh, anybody want to clap or anything? Does anybody want to? Like, it just happens. And coaches love to talk about it. But I don't think it's real. Like, but someone's going to do it. Like, Zach Harrison will do it. It'll be fine. Dallas Gann will do it. It'll be fine. Like, what's the actual tangible effect on the team? Because the young me, I, guys have to step up, and they do. To me, I feel like it's a little bit the way you look at assistant coaches, which is you notice it when it's not there. 
Like when they get it wrong, that's when you really notice it. A lot of the times, maybe I think you're right that it does just sort of fold one into the other. But when it's wrong, you definitely notice it. And we'll be talking about it later this season if it's wrong. How often is it wrong? How often is it wrong? I think with leadership, very rarely does it just not show up. I mean, the way Taraji Mitchell was talking yesterday, you just assume he's already taken that mantle of being the leaders in the linebacker room. And so unlike with assistant coaches where you can make bad hires, at places, any not just places like Ohio State, like any any sports program, someone's going to step up and be a leader. I think in 13, so Urban Meyer got here. He inherited guys in 2012 like John Simon and Zach Boren, who I think in a tough transition, he felt were special and that they helped sort of drag that program through that undefeated first year. It was like just the absolute unbelievable talent of Braxton Miller carrying the offense by himself. And then that wasn't as much Braxton's thing, honestly. I think Braxton would admit that. You know, that Kenny Guyton was like the quarterback leader, right? Braxton was a great player. He maybe didn't have that like JT Barrett did. But Braxton had talent. You had guys like John Simon and Zach Bourne. Who, and then when they left, then for 2013, I think Urban Meyer was worried about the leadership. And he was like, we got to find guys. Like, we got to train guys because, like, it's not automatically coming. And then they, like, went undefeated until the Big Ten Championship game. Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, like they were – they figured it out. They trained them up and they figured it out and they had a lot of good players. I just it's, – it's like I think there is absolutely – and I'm, I'm going to stop – well, no, I think caveats are part of Buckeye talk because I think it's fair to say – we're not trying to rip amateurs, but like, I don't think it's going to be impossible like to replace like the play of the linebackers. They were good. I've seen better. Like Cody Simon, I think my when he plays, I think he might be better, you know? And again, Pete Warner has been a weird guy to cover. And I think I've underestimated him his whole career, but I'm telling you, he's not Ryan Shazier. So like, okay, let's see who's Ryan Shazier. Let's see who's James Laurinaitis. I mean, I think, you know, tough Borland is a great leader. He's not, I mean, if I ranked like the best middle linebackers that I've seen play at Ohio state, I think in 16 years, I'd probably ranked six or seven guys. I had a tough Borland. That's not a shot, but that's like ability. Right. And Baron Browning, as we talked a million times, people are going bonkers for Baron Browning as an NFL draft prospect. Did they ever go bonkers for Baron Browning for the way he played snap to snap at Ohio state? They never figured him out. So like, I get it. They were old. They can be replaced, and I think they will be, and I think there's opportunity. So I'm not buying anything. I'm buying 0% of, like, it's going to be hard to replace these guys. If that's mean, I apologize. I just don't – I think it's coach speak. I don't think it's real. I will say this, that if they – where we will see a problem is if they're making decisions, I think, based solely on intangibles and not based on just playing the best linebackers. But they're not. They're not going to. Like, but, but this, it right. also goes back to the same old guy, young guy conversation that we've always had, right? If Cody Simon, and we don't know this to be true, but let's say Cody Simon is 25% more skilled than Dallas Gant, but Dallas Gant has done everything right in practice for three years. He is an absolute rock solid dude who knows this defense inside and out. I think they'll play Dallas Gant. Now, I don't think that's putting intangibles over talent. I mean, if Cody Simon looks like Ryan Shazier in practice, I think he'll play, right? So that's the same conversation we always had. But I just, you know, leadership, whatever. 
leadership to me is the kind of thing you talk about when like the actual talent is just only fine. Honestly, they talked about leadership with JT Barrett all the time. He can't throw like Dwayne. <laughs> he's not dynamic like Braxton or Justin or whatever. So it's like, great. He's a leader and I'm not down. No, I am downplaying it because guess what? You know who has great leaders? Minnesota. They just don't have any NFL players. So good luck. I'll take yeah, talent think- over leadership and they're not mutually exclusive. Obviously. Right. I mean, you know, who might be ready to lead and absolutely kick butt as a football player this year, Zach Harrison, right? Give me a five-star leader who is ready to tear people's arms off and tell the team, let's go. I think that might be ready to happen. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, Steven. Yeah. Your best captains are your best players. Uh, 100%. The P- it's honest. No, it's either your really your best players or the people who don't play at all. The people in the middle can't do anything for you because the people who are at the bottom and aren't playing, they're still giving their all knowing they're not playing. So how, who are you to not do that? But then also when Zach Harrison is leading and telling you to do something as a guy who might bust out and be an All-American this year, you better listen to that potential All-American this year. So everybody in the middle, that, that type of leadership doesn't do anything for me. You need to be one of the two extremes. But yeah, I agree with you, Doug. I think leadership gets you on the field the first for the first snap of the Minnesota game while Cody Simon, those intangibles grow. But then by the but talent is going to have you on the field in the college football playoff game against Alabama or Oklahoma or Georgia or Clemson or whoever. And I want to make sure people I want to make sure people don't misunderstand. It wasn't that we Al Washington didn't when we talked to him yesterday didn't bring up, well, these are the guys who are probably going to play because they're good leaders. I, this came up in conversations we were having with those linebackers themselves saying yeah. this is you know, this is why I feel like I'm ready to to do this. So just to make sure people don't think that it, that we were insinuating that that was how Ohio State was doing the decision-making process. Correct. So we don't have evidence of that. No, and I, and I do think, I mean, I think it becomes an issue if you happen to have a couple great players who are quiet, right, or a couple great players who it's not quite as natural for them, then you've got to look a little bit, but you still can usually find it. And a lot of guys, it's like, well, it doesn't matter. I don't care if he, like, gives a speech or not. That guy balls out on the field. So then, you know, you're a leader by example. You don't whatever. So that, that's fine. That's fine, but then maybe somebody else has to step up in the room. And th- right, I mean, th- again, I think Braxton might have been like that. I think Chris Olave might be a good example of that. Who knows? So um, I just I don't I don't want to act I don't want to falsely act like losing those four linebackers is like man what are they going to do? It's like I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to play the next guys who I'm not so sure shouldn't have had a chance to play before. I think their linebacker play over the next couple of years will be better, and not that it's been bad, but I don't think it's been spectacular. And I'm going to keep saying Ryan Shazier until I see another Ryan Shazier, because guess what? It's Ohio State. You should have a Ryan Shazier every now and then. And I thought maybe it was going to be Baron Browning. And I think Baron Browning is a really good football player. I don't think he ever got all the way there. He was a very good football player. He was never first team all Big Ten, right? Maybe people are bad at voting, but he never quite got all the way there. Give me a five star who gets all the way there, just like it happens at every other position. That's all. That's all. I mean, that's, you know, so if I was referencing but, running back, I wouldn't be going back as far as Ryan Shazier, right? I don't have to go to Ezekiel Elliott. If I'm going to receiver. I can, I can point to guys right now on receiver. If I go to cornerback, there's practically one every year. If I go to offensive line, I can go to Wyatt Davis. I don't have to go back. Right. I just want that. That's all. But it feels like, it feels like there, the, the chances of that happening in the next few years are increasing because the recruiting in that room has, gone up a notch i think in the last couple of years 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's at a new level right now between Carrico and what they have for 2022. So it feels like they might be taking a step towards it's one of those things where just like you've almost had more dart throws at getting your Ryan Shazier. You're more likely to to hit the bullseye. Mitchell Melton. I mean, we're going to exclude Court Williams because obviously he's playing bullet say whatever. He's not a true linebacker. So I'm excluding him from this conversation. Mitchell Melton's the only guy that Al Washington has brought in during his tenure that is not a top 100 linebacker. And it's because he's more of a developmental guy who might end up growing into a defensive end just based on how his body is. And this is not, and I think Al Washington's a good linebackers coach and they, Ohio State thinks it's too, thinks it too, because they really tried hard to keep him and they did keep him. You know, Jerome Baker's another guy. Jerome Baker maybe could have been Ryan Shazier level with better coaching. Jerome Baker got caught in the Bill Davis vortex a little bit. And how do I know that? Because Jerome Baker's a starting linebacker in the NFL. And he was a, he was a good player here. But he never, he was never like maybe game changing in the way that you maybe thought he had a chance to be. And I'm not, I'm putting that on the coaches. So that's all. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break and then we're going to come back and drive this linebacker conversation into a broader context. Thanks to this question from Andrew in the 330. With this year's roster and what we think right now about them, if the game, was on the line in the fourth quarter. Who is your? Who are your eleven defensive players against a team like Clemson? We're putting it on the line, projecting to when it really matters. We'll do that with the defense next on Buckeye Talk. Try the text at 614-350-3315. We're recording this Friday uh, around noon. And we are finishing up the final group of first round voting. It's the candy voting uh, that we are finishing up. And then we will be into the round of 32 when we will continue that voting over the weekend. If you want to be part of that, 614-350-3315. We'll keep updating you guys a little bit here and there uh, as we go through the candy and salty and baked goods and hot cold voting. I also have a very important yet uncomfortable yet kind of gross, yet interesting life and body thing to talk about at the end of the podcast. I'm not going to throw it in the middle um, because I wouldn't do that to you. I would, but I'm not doing it this time. But if that's a tease that intrigues you, stick around for the last five minutes. If that's a a tease that potentially disgusts you, then leave before we get to that. But we're doing defense right now. So let's start and I'd said, okay, we'll do it's the playoff. It's the first snap. It's first and 10 against Clemson or whomever in a playoff semifinal. Um, you know, what, whatever. I don't think your first down defense changes because it's the first quarter of the fourth quarter. So we are, we are following Andrew's uh, idea here. So let's do the defensive line first. And Nathan, you can lead this first and 10 normal whatever base defense against a team that can throw though right not against a big 10 team against a team that can throw whether it's oklahoma georgia clemson alabama whomever usc keaton slovis they can throw so keep that in mind what do you expect is your defensive line on first and 10 yeah i'm really curious if we're gonna how much difference we're gonna have on at least our first down defense um maybe maybe a little bit on the back end but i think i mean the the defensive line, Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith at the ends, Haskell Garrett at defensive tackle, and then at nose, I'm going to put Antoine Jackson. I'm, I'm open to someone else developing that or, you know, uh, emerging as a, a, a bigger solution at nose, but he seems like the most likely guy to me right now. 
Any major dispute with that, Stephen? Actually, nah. even a minor dispute. You may have a minor dispute. <laughs> nah, that's what I had. And uh, yeah, to the point with Antoine Jackson, it's like, yeah, Antoine Jackson, or maybe you can throw uh, some, maybe you throw Teron Vincent in there if they want to swing him a little bit. But yeah, I have no problems with this. Now, I, I agree on first down, and we'll do the whole first down defense first, and then we'll get to sort of our third and long defense. All right, Nathan, who are your linebackers? And, and whatever this is, bullet, whatever, bullet's a linebacker. We're, um, we're, we're looking for three here, I think, right? Not just two. Right. We're looking for three on first down. Taraja Mitchell at Will, Dallas Gant at Mike, and <laughs> I'm going to say Kayvon Pope at Sam, but not with a lot of confidence right now. What do you think, Steven? Taraja Mitchell's my Will. I think we're all going to have that. I put Cody Simon at the mic, and I put Craig Young at Sam. The Cody Simon belief is strong in you, yeah. Steven. And I don't know. You might, you might own this corner. This might be, be Stephen Means staking out some territory here. Because I think you are correct in that most of the beat has gone along with sort of the Dallas Gantt, Taraja Mitchell assumption. You, how would you describe this happening? That like Dallas Gantt and Cody Simon are kind of like sharing it for a while. And then at some point, people just realize Cody Simon's the better player. Yeah, I think Dallas is going to have it that those first before we get to that bye week. I think those first four games before we get to the bye week, and I, I but I do think gradually you'll see Cody Simon consistently have a role where maybe he plays 10, 15 snaps the first game, then it's twenty snaps the next game. Then we get after that bye week, it's more of a, a shared space. Um, but I do think by the time we get to Big Ten championship playoff football, I think Cody Simon's going to be the starter, and that's how I base this because. Snap one on against Minnesota, as great as that is, it's more interesting who's out there on the field for me when they, when they play Clemson and Georgia. And I think Cody Simon will eventually, as he's entering his second year, having gone through an actual spring and having a normal year, that talent's going to take over and he's going to be the undeniable answer, at least for 2021, to be the starting Mike linebacker as a how top much, 75 recruit. How much do you think the Gantt injury that is presumably going to put Cody Simon on the field more often with the first team defense this spring. How much is that part of this? Would you have thought this anyway? And, or if so, how much does it open the door of like, well, they're going to get eyeballs on him for 15 practices. Yeah. I would have thrown the idea out there. If Dallas, Dallas Gantt was playing just for the sake of the conversation, I think him being injured maybe makes it me a little bit more confident in it. I don't, it's not to this extreme, but for the sake of using an example, JK Dobbins, Mike Weber, J.K. had already kind of shown some things even before Mike Weber's injury, but that injury pretty much just made it a foregone conclusion. Oh yeah, we're throwing J.K. out there, and we can never, and we're never turning back. This is J.K. This is the J.K. Dobbins show. Injuries sometimes make decisions for coaches that they're not willing to make themselves. This is a pretty strong corner. It is establishing here. You're setting up a little lemonade stand. Yeah. But it's one of those lemonade stands that doesn't just have lemonade, it has snacks too. Because sometimes you pull up the lemonade, it's just like two kids with like a pitcher. And it's like, okay, I no, respect it. And I'll stop. I'll stop for a lemonade stand. But if I stop, let me tell you, one of the great pleasures in life, you stop for the lemonade stand and you're going to give them, it's 50 cents for a cup of lemonade. Of course, you're going to give them a dollar and tell them to keep the change. And then they also have like homemade Rice Krispie treats with the lemonade also i mean that's just that is the kind of thing that makes your day this is then, a lemonade um, this is a lemonade stand in a gated community so we have that type of money to just throw out our kids well but i but i mean because but now the rice crispy treat that is a minor investment for mm -hmm. a big payoff right like listen and i don't even 
this is one of those I am. I have very specific rules about where I am more open to sort of going to like generic food as opposed to a brand name thing. And other times when I feel like, no, I, I'm much more comfortable with a brand name thing. Generic Rice Krispies. Why would I pay for a snap, crackle and pop? It's just puffed rice. Give me puffed rice. I don't need Rice Krispies. Puffed rice, man, you get a big box of puffed rice for not that much. And then brand name marshmallows. What are you talking about? It's all cow feet, whatever marshmallows are. What is it? Pig intestines? It's all the same. I don't need, I don't need like brand name marshmallows. So give me a bag of generic puff rice, generic marshmallows. I am, I'm outland maybe three bucks. And then I'm making a tray and I'm cutting them up small. I'm not giving you the big Rice Krispie treats at my lemonade stand. I'm cutting them up small. I'm getting 20 Rice Krispies out of that. Maybe it cost me like a buck 50 to make. And now I'm charging, I don't know, what am I charging? 50 cents for Rice Krispie for 20? That's 10 bucks. That's a pretty good margin, Stephen. So I, I understand what you're saying. Listen, you don't want to have to outlay too much because you don't know what the traffic's going to be like. You don't know if the weather's going to yeah. be good. I think it's a minor outlay for a big payoff. And if, I mean, if if any kids want any help in starting a lemonade stand business, I'm I'm here for you. Nathan, right? Generic marshmallows, generic puff rice. Does anyone get to stand up for like, no, 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 no. Snap, crackle, and pop. They're worth it. I'm, I'm generic. I, I almost default to generic. Like I'm the person who it's not even just being a cheapskate. It's just like, what's, what am I really, I'm paying for a bag so much more often than I'm paying for. We have, we have arguments about it in this house. Like if I try to buy like a generic soda, I'm, I'm scolded in this house. Buckeye talk is turning the battle for Mike linebacker into a, a discussion about soft snacks that you sell at a lemonade stand. I cannot remember the football thing we were talking about at all. At all. I, I, I think I think my point was that at the end of the year, Cody Simon is going to be starting over Dallas Gantt. I think that's what it was. I have no idea how that got to lemonade. I can't even remember the segue. Not at all. Someone has want, to rewind and remind me. They have to give us Cody Simon now so we can ask him if, if he's ever had a lemonade stand when he was a kid. That would be a great – I mean, that's one of those – I'm always in favor of, like, let's come up with questions and ask, like, over the course of a, of a month of interviews, ask – 12 or 13 guys, the same question. And if we just, every time, Stephen, that you got on a Zoom, the rest of spring practice, you were like, uh, yeah, two quick ones for, uh, for Cody. Did you ever have a lemonade stand? What is your view on generic Rice Krispies? Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here for that. Let me have a good little story at the end of the spring. <laughs> and then text the texters like, so this is what he was actually talking about. He, we were comparing the lemonade stand to the Mike linebacker battle. And from those answers, this is now how I feel about him being the starting linebacker. That's right. By the way, I, I, I had a tweet fired up uh, and I didn't send it because it's not worth getting political on Twitter, but it wasn't about politics. It was about political journalism. But like, and I, I'm just piling on what everybody else said. Like the first time that, that a new president has a press conference and I make fun of like our press conferences sometimes and that I think like the Ohio State beat doesn't ask the right questions. This is the Washington, this is the presidential press corps bombed Joe Biden's first press conference. The questions they asked, they're insane. And I have this whole thing, and it probably is better on Buckeye Talk than on trying to write it on Twitter. To me, campaigning is like recruiting. And governing is like playing the games. Because you have to campaign to win the election or you don't get to govern. You have to recruit to get good players or you're not going to win the games. But once you get to the governing slash game playing time, 
if you are someone who is not specializing in either recruiting or campaigning, but you are a general reporter now who is supposed to be there to cover the game playing or the governing, if your focus is on the recruiting or the campaigning, the whole point of recruiting and campaigning is so that you can win the games and you get to govern. And to treat recruiting or campaigning as an end unto itself, that like the only reason to campaign is so that you can win and then campaign again, and that, that they are asking questions about the 2024 campaign and nobody asked a question about the pandemic is journalistic dumbassery at its finest. And it is a freaking embarrassment. And as I always say, I am pro-journalism, but a lot of journalists are idiots. And I like that it was a reminder that it's not just sports writers who are idiots. This is like the most important job there is. A lot of press conference journalism, frankly, there's a lot of great reporters who are out actually digging stuff up. A lot of press conference journalism, whether it's sports or news, is garbage. And the people there wouldn't know how to ask a question if I wrote it down for them. So that was an embarrassment. And I am not at all besmirching recruiting. And every now and then, even though you're talking about the games, you work in a little bit of recruiting. And the people who only focus on recruiting, great. There are people who only focus on campaigning. But my God, there's a point to it. You stupid idiot Washington journalists. Embarrassing. Anyway, I decided not to tweet that. I decided to throw it in the middle of a linebacker conversation. Once again, I have completely forgot what position we were talking about during this pod. I'm not even sure what team it is we're talking about. Is it Ohio State? I can't remember. We're talking about Maryland. So if we had to vote, I think right now I would agree. I'm going to stick with Nathan at middle linebacker. I would still say Dallas Gantt. If I had to vote, though, and, and Nathan, part of this is at the strong side linebacker, I'm going to guess that when they get to the playoff and they're playing a good quarterback, they might like being playing the bullet or be playing more of a coverage guy on first down, too. If I had to vote, I think I would vote for Craig Young on first down instead of Kayvon Pope based on the expected opponent. You know, if they're playing Wisconsin, I get it, right? And based on – and maybe that's unfair, but – I might vote with Steven on that. Nathan, what, what do you think of that? I know, obviously, I, we're not, it's not that we're on different pages on this. You just got to pick. Yeah, and I think it, it reminded me a little bit of the conversation we had about um, when Tishu sent us the odds on the quarterbacks the other day. Like, I would probably, I think I would pick Kayvon Pope, but I think I would like the odds on Craig Young. I, I think, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But I also think Craig, yeah, to the point Doug made about Craig Young, I think he might play the two most snaps of the season if Ohio State gets to the national championship game and the semifinal and then the championship game. He might play more snaps in those two games than in any other game during the season just because of who the t- competition is. But I also think that this that Sam linebacker, taking us back to the first segment, I think it might be the position that most resembles the Borland-Browning thing. I think that could play out sort of yeah. in what they end up doing at Sam this year. And I agree with that, but I also think it's possible – because Craig Young is a linebacker and they're training him at this bullet thing. Now, I also think it's possible that Craig Young sort of like wins the Sam linebacker job and wins the bullet job and just plays and is actually doing two different things, but he's, he's the Pete same Warner. guy. Yeah, he's yeah. just Pete Warner in 2019. Whereas I don't think, and I just, this is based on what they're saying. I don't think Kayvon Pope can win both because right. he's not even trying to be a bullet. Right. right. So 
I think that's out there, but I think it could be Kayvon Pope and Court Williams. I think it could be Kayvon Pope and Craig Young. I think it could be only Craig Young. I think it could even be like Craig Young and Court Williams of like, maybe we like Craig Young as a Sam linebacker. He can play bullet, but you know what? He's young too. Let's not play. If, if the other two linebackers are playing 65 snaps a game, let's not play Craig Young 65. Let's play Court Williams with some bullet. You know, I do think, but I do think there's, that's the, the most likely rotational spot. Although every point that Steven has made so far about Cody Simon at middle linebacker, I think we do have to absolutely keep in mind. First down secondary. So we're playing three linebackers. We've got seven guys on the field so far. What's your secondary, Nathan? Seven banks and Cam Brown at the outside corners, Josh Proctor at free safety. And then I had to decide really on slot corner. I was tempted. And again, I don't mean, I don't want to sound mean. I was kind of tempted to just say, not Marcus Williamson, that I think they find someone else there. But for the sake of specificity, I'm going to put Lathan Ransom there. I don't know that that's even really how they're thinking about him right now, but I just feel like the opportunity is there for someone with a higher ceiling to emerge by the beginning of the season or certainly by the end of the season, what we're talking about. And he seems like the one with the most likely leg up to maybe take that spot. Steven, what do you think? That's my first down, Banks Brown. Uh, Proctor and then Ransom. I, that's part of the problem with the new terms of, of slot of, of needing a slot corner versus just having a strong safety. And, and, and for what this defense is, it should just be the same thing. You're just both. It's just depending on what down it is, is what you are by name. But at the end of the day, it's Lathan Ransom is going to be the cover safety. Ultimately, I had 2019 in mind because I think that's closer to what they hope this will be because the reason Sean Wade played slot corner wasn't necessarily because he was some kind of prototypical slot corner. I think he was the next best defensive back that needed to be on the field as much as possible. So I kind of think that's what they maybe hope to find between now and beginning of the season is who's that next guy that has to be on the field. I don't really know that they really felt that way about Marcus Williamson last year. I feel like they were, as we've talked before, where they kind of caught in between the coming and going of classes and he was the veteran and he, he was fine, but do they, is there, can a higher ceiling person step up and take that? Marcus Williamson was a slot corner. Sean Wade was a strong safety with elite coverage ability on slots. Kind of like what the Kansas city chiefs do with Teran Matthew. Oh, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, cause I think you think sometimes that like slot corners have to be small. And I don't think that's true. Sean Wade was a corner. Sean Wade was an outside corner. He was never a safety. No, Sean but he, Wade was like Sean Wade then played. Sean Wade never played safety. Sean played Wade never played deep safety. They put him in the slot because they were wanted his coverage skills in yeah, the but, slot. But sometimes they would put him in the box and send him on blitzes and whatnot. And so he would be more like what a strong safety would do. But he never that's played what, safety. Strong safety. I'm not saying he was but a strong ever... safety. If you're actually a strong safety, you're back. Sometimes you're not in the box a hundred percent of the time. They put him there for his coverage skills. And he was an outside corner who then played outside corner. He's now, now you're talking about the NFL standout. Oh, maybe he's a safety, whatever he came as a corner. He is a corner. And when they put him in there, they put him at slot corner. Cause like they needed someone to cover like Rondale Wade and Rondale Moore and stuff. Like they needed like, like slot corners who could, play man coverage in the slot so I don't I don't think that's true like Vaughn Bell was a safety that you could play back you could play up he was a safety guy who could play coverage I I don't I mean just, we're getting into too, too many semantic arguments yeah I, I just like think some of that was scheme that, based 
that, I mean, yes, he was never back, but also because they play cover one, cover three. So in those situations, the strong safety is always up uh, along the line of scrimmage in a cover three situation. But uh, this is all semantic. This is it, a different it is conversation. Semantic. He's a cover guy, though. He's yeah. a cornerback. He came as a cornerback, and he started at outside cornerback. I mean, I, I don't think he ever worked. Like, if the corners and the safeties were split in practice, I'm not sure Sean Wade was ever with the safeties. No, and that's and okay. then when when ha- but when Halfley brought them both into the same room and everybody's learning the same terminology, it, I, I don't know. But they still split up in practice. I think that's wrong. I think what you said is wrong because we can't only think that slot corners are short, right? I mean, I, that's that's not what this has to be. I do think sometimes I don't know that Cam Martinez will be an outside corner at Ohio State. But I think if you told me that they're going to make Legend Cavazos a slot corner, I think that would be fine, right? I think a bigger guy can come inside. I think sometimes if you're a little on the smaller side, it's just hard to be on the outside, especially on islands against against number one receivers. So, But, I, again, we get into too many semantic discussions. It's about the 11 guys on the field. I don't disagree that those are the four secondary guys. However you do it, I think that makes sense to me. And that I just don't know that what, who's the other guy, if it's not ransom, I agree. I would put ransom there instead of Williamson. And then like, if it's not Williamson, what other corner would it be? I think it's ransom. So that's our, that's our first down defense. Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson, Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell. And we're kind of debating between Kayvon Pope and Craig Young. Seven banks and Cam Brown. Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom, and we are on alert for Cody Simon taking that Dallas Gantt spot. Let's do third down. Nathan, it's third down, and you just – just I want to make sure, like, keep the Rushman package in mind, right, That uh, with the defensive line possibilities. It's third and – doesn't have to be third and 15, but it's third and eight, and, like, you're pretty sure they're going to throw. So who's your defensive line? Same ends, Harrison and Smith. And then with the Rushman package in mind, I'm thinking you use Tyler Friday at one of the tackles and then Teron Vincent at the other. You took Haskell off the field. You took Haskell off the field. Why'd you take Haskell off the field? Uh, Just that you can't play every down, and this this gives you an opportunity. Now, I think now if it's – if you're talking about, I guess, yeah, the caveat that you put out there, you just said in a playoff game when you sent us a text, if it's fourth – quarter with the game on the line i think you're probably right i think castle gear probably is on the field yes so then who so then who's your best four if you're trying to play um, your best four guys on this look uh, obviously I, I, w- I would leave garrett in there without moving friday inside probably so you'd have garrett and vincent yeah i think so yeah okay steven i have a very specific idea that i think would happen steven what sh- what would your look be here I had that, but I opened up the possibility that maybe they try Haskell out at nose for the Rushman package and put Tyler Friday inside. I don't think Friday is a better gut. I'm not sure Friday is the guy that moves inside. I think Tyreek Smith goes inside because I want a mismatch inside. So I'm very interested in like Zach Harrison and Tyler Friday at end Tyreek Smith inside with Garrett. Or with Vincent, maybe, but probably with Garrett. That's the thing. I like a lot of times, like they'd move Nick, Nick Bosa inside sometimes, right? I, I don't think it's, I don't think when you have the, uh, 
I don't think it's that you put like your third best end as the inside guy. Sometimes I think you want sometimes one of your best ends inside the Browns every now and then move miles Garrett inside. So like, I, I just think, uh, I think that's a great spot for Tyreek to really get after somebody. And I don't want to take Haskell Garrett off the field, but to your point, Nathan, I understand the idea. I mean, the guy can't play every snap of every game. So, and I'm not sure I, maybe it's Javante Jean Baptiste. You know what, you know what I'm here for? In March, you know what I'm here for? I'm here for Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer as my ends. I was about to say it. Yeah. Yeah. And Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett inside. Like, who's not here for that? Because that, right, you're just asking Jack Sawyer to win. He doesn't have to read something right necessarily. He doesn't have to expect just win. Just give him a little bit of the Larry Johnson toolbox and tell him to win around the edge, tell him to win with the bull rush, and go. I think that's a big opening for Jack Sawyer there. So I think – but I, but my main thing is Tyreek inside. That's actually my official answer. Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer and Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett inside. I like the Tyreek Smith thing. I mean, he's, he's listed at 6'3", 260 pounds. So, I mean, he's going – physically, he can hold up in there, and he has a great get-off. I, I don't hate it. I kind of like it actually. I don't. The Jack Sawyer one gets interesting because he is a freshman, but he is. I mean, he's a top five player in the country. I think you have the most interesting one. I think he'll play. Yeah. I think Jack Sawyer is going to have a role this year, and it's like I don't. I don't know that you want Jack Sawyer in on like second and seven. It might be a run. It might be a pass. It might yeah. be a screen. It might be a. You know, they might pull a guard. They might. You know. But it's like, oh, it's third and nine. Just go get the quarterback. That's what you can do with any freshman defensive end and just unleash him because we know he has the raw talent. And Larry Johnson says, okay, I'm going to teach you this move and this move. You've got two. But they're not seeing you that much. And at the very least, they don't know which one you're going to do. So pick one and do it and go. I think that could work. Like it sucks that we're doing this and we're not sure how the 2021 class is going to completely shape out yet because there is still a kid still on the board for them and he can play inside or outside. And if we feel that way about Jack Sawyer, how does it maybe change some things if JT Tumalau comes into the discussion? I didn't listen to the Buckeye Future Friday pod yet. Did you guys discuss JT on that? Uh, sure. Just in, in passing of like, hey, it's down Alabama. He's one of the people Alabama and Ohio State are fighting over, but it wasn't the most – because it is what it is at this point with him. He's, it's down to a list of schools, and he's trying his hardest to get on these schools' campuses before he makes a decision. Well, you don't have to tell me. If you already said this on the Future Friday, it's, you don't yeah, have to it, say it. it. Is, so it's a point. It, it, it is what it is with JT Tumala. We're just waiting on him to make a decision. But did you say? do you think it's going to be Ohio State or no? I think it's going to be Ohio State. Okay. And you said that already or no? I've said that a couple of times, yeah. But I, you didn't say, did you say it on Friday? I don't know if I, I don't remember if I said it on Friday or not. I'll go listen to it. I'll, I'll let you know if you said it or not. Thanks. I, I didn't listen to it yet. This is what happens when I'm not on a podcast. And I just, it's, okay. to, it's like, oh, Doug will take a day off and not do the Buckeye Future Fridays. And I'm like, could you just repeat everything you said it's okay. now on this podcast? Because I didn't have a chance to listen to it yet. It's okay. We all have, we, everybody's doing stuff. Sorry. All right. Can, I, can we vote? Can I, I, I'm not, not to, not to put pressure on anybody, but I like mine the best. Anybody want to vote? Can we, I mean, are, are there strong opinions against? Zach Harrison, Jack Sawyer outside, Tyreek Smith, Haskell Garrett inside, or can we make that our defensive line? Or they're strong no, I think that, against? I think that's that's completely plausible. I think it's and, and using other ends in the same instead of Tyler Friday, I think makes sense too. I mean, I think there's know, a lot not, of things they could do there. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to be against the idea that Jack Sawyer just might be awesome in that role as a true freshman. So 
Okay, now it gets a little complicated because we're not exactly sure. I mean, I guess are they going three corners? Is there three corners, two safeties, two linebackers? I don't know. Well, we got to figure it out, Nathan. And again, let's talk mostly people, not positions, because people is really what it's all about. Buckeye talk. What do you think, Nathan? How many linebackers? Like at least talk about the linebackers, dude. You'd put out there. I'm. I went with two linebackers. I went with Taraja Mitchell and Craig Young. What do you think, Steven? Yeah, that's what I went with. I don't know that we know yet, like, who the better cover guy is between Taraja and Dallas, right? Because, like, Tough Borland was not in a nickel. That wasn't because they were pulling the Mike linebacker off the field necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's because Tough Borland was not a cover guy. Baron Browning, when he was sharing Mike linebacker with Tough Borland, he was on the field a lot in nickel. So, like, a lot of times, like, in 19, it'd be like, they, I think it rotated between between Baron Browning, Pete Werner, and Malik Harrison. It'd be two of those three. But regardless of what linebacker they position they played, they could all cover, and you could trust them on third and long. And Tough was just not in that equation. I like the idea that it's probably like the, if there's a bullety guy, he's one of the two linebackers, right? And I think I think it's just as likely as Gant. I think Mitchell's great, but I I don't know. I don't have a sense of that yet. And Nathan and Steven, you guys both had this, like, court working in it all? Like a Court Williams consideration, like instead of Craig Young, if they're sharing something, is this a chance where this is where you get Court Williams on the field or not, or not really? He's hurt. He's young. I don't know. I, I guess if you, I, my thinking is if you're – the way that I structured the rest of this, if you're putting a, a nickel slot, whatever you want to call it, on the field, and you're going with a second – safety that then going with I, I assume they would maybe want something leaning more towards a conventional linebacker as opposed to a bullet for that second linebacker spot so I think I'm in on Craig Young just being good enough to do both jobs where on first and second too, down, yeah. He, yeah, he's just a linebacker. And then on third down, he just becomes your bullet, like with Pete Warner. And then, yeah, I think you're right. It, the second linebacker might just come down to who's a better cover, cover guy, whether it's Traj or Mitchell. For you guys, it's Dallas Gant. For me, it's Cody Simon. But who's just a better cover guy? That's the guy who's out there. But I do think – I think Craig Young is just going to be good at both. And so – And we're also – this is – this that that question you're asking is the best – example of where we are really caught between what we've seen and what we know and what is theoretical. And that's what we do on this podcast a lot, obviously, but this might be the best because we know what court Williams was brought here to do. We know the way that this coaching staff talks about him. He hasn't been able to play, but like Craig young was actually getting on the field a little bit last year. Why yeah. can't court Williams take Marcus Williams's role? Oh, cause they're completely different players. That's the end of that discussion. That's not, yeah. that, that's not even a thing. So the, 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 the thing that I think is – so I think you have to keep in mind, it's like, okay, so that it's third and eight. They have three receivers and a tight end on the field and a running back who's, who starts off in pass protection and then leaks out. Um, so if you have three corners and you have those guys kind of in coverage on the three receivers and you have two safeties along with that, right, back, two deep safeties because you're protecting against some stuff then you got to make sure that whoever your two linebackers are, you kind of believe in them and maybe a safety comes up to help, but you believe in them. Okay. Well, who's got the back out of the backfield. Who's going to get out in space and make a play. Who's got the tight end. Right. And I do think that that could be 
Taraja Mitchell and Court Williams for sure. Like I think are just like it could be Dallas Gant and Craig Young or Taraja Mitchell and Craig Young. So um, I'm keeping Court Williams in mind for this. And it does open up roles. It opens up, hey, they're equally as good, but we'd like to play both. So why don't we train, you know, one guy will be a little more ready on first and second down. One guy will be a little more ready on third. I do want to get this specifically. Stephen, what you're expressing so far, you are a little more into a Cody Simon taking some Dallas Gantt snaps than you are court williams taking craig young snaps is that fair then okay just because i mean court williams is missing a lot man he's still not doing contact stuff in spring he missed he didn't have last spring he didn't play last year and yes we we know we think he might be but he just i mean that's missing a lot and then expecting that guy to have a significant role when there might be a guy who can just do his job and be a normal linebacker i get it the thing to remember about court williams is i know he wasn't even didn't have the same kind of recruiting ranking coming in as someone like Jonathan Cooper. I just wonder if that's maybe more his long-term trajectory. This might be a guy that they look at as a five-year guy and he's making his biggest contributions later in his career. Oh, I don't think so. I thought they loved him from the get-go and I think he might've played last year if he was around. Yeah. I think it's, I think now it might be that just because of injuries, but I I think, yeah, from the get-go, he was a guy who might be a first-year player. He's an ACL, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. ACLs aren't a big deal anymore. No. Uh, it's an ACL. I mean, JT Barrett tore his ACL in high school and was like redshirted in 13 and was a starting quarterback for four years. So I, I understand. What I, and I agree that I think they envisioned something for him last year, but I don't know. Like, he was going to take Baron Browning off the field last year? No, I don't know. I don't know for sure. I mean, I think, yes, you make a good point. I just do not at all agree with any idea of like the Court Williams because he maybe was a little lower in the rankings as like a long term guy who's more like a vet. I think he's like a guy that they thought was like ready to roll and was advanced mentally in a way that like, he's ready for college football right this second. And I think as soon as his knee is healthy, I think he's going to be a factor would be my guess. And I think he has the talent and like the emotional intelligence and the mental acuity. And that like, I think he's just a dude like Mm -hmm. all the way around. So my, I am expecting him to, even with this linebacker talent coming, my expectation at this point is that Court Williams is still like a big part of this as soon as he's ready, whatever that means in the mix, in the fight, not like waiting till you're four or five to do something. Um, let's do a break and then we'll come back. What's the secondary on third down? And then my weird little thing next up, Buckeye talk. All right, Nathan, five more guys to put on the field. Who are they? Yeah, same same outside corners, Banks and Brown, same free safety, Josh Proctor. And then I, I didn't really get that creative with this, I guess. I mean, I, I kept Lathan Ransom in as that third corner, call him nickel, I guess, because it's it's a third down package, because then I was putting Marcus Williamson at that strong safety spot. I'm but open second to the deep safety on second, second deep, deep safety, safety on, yes. on third Correct. down. Yes. Which I, I guess you would call whatever whatever safety they call it. Yeah. That's what I would guess Marcus Williamson's role is going to be, that he'll be the second deep safety when they use it. They'll use it more this year than they did last year. It'll be part of their third down look, and I agree with these five. Steven, do you agree with these five? I agree, but I want to throw Ronnie Hickman's name out there. Instead of Marcus Williamson? Yeah, he showed some things as the second safety when he played against Michigan State, and then obviously, of course, he got hurt right after we got to see some stuff, which was the story of the, the safety position last year. You show us something, and then you get hurt. I am leaving open a possibility that, yes, Marcus Williamson is the starter against Minnesota, but against Georgia and Clemson, by then, Roddy Hickman is the second safety. 
you've brought up two very good names to keep in mind because they are guys in Cody Salmon and Ronnie Hickman who were big recruits and who have not, who just don't get, at least on this podcast, have not been discussed a ton. And Nathan, I'm here for it. Like I, I, I think we agree with your five, Nathan. I think that's what a lot of people would agree with, but I think that's a good name now because I think it's interesting. Like, when they talked about when Kerry Combs talked about who was working behind Josh Proctor, right at deep safety, he didn't say Ronnie Hickman no, because he said Bryson Shaw and Jansen Dunn, right? Correct. So I think I go ahead. Well, I would say a real quick caveat because of what Steven just said, we'd, because we haven't seen practice, we don't know, and I don't want to speak this in, but maybe Ronnie Hickman is still dealing with something from an injury standpoint. We don't know that, but that could be a reason why he didn't bring him up. But also, I don't think he was ever in the – yeah, yes, yeah, you're correct, Nathan, but also I don't think he was ever in line for the single high spot. I think he was always whatever – Oh, okay, yeah, you're talking spot. about – yeah, okay. Yeah. That if, that if he might be more like working behind Lathan Ransom at whatever Lathan Ransom is doing. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. what we're that, thinking? And that's what I assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that what you guys assume that he's that more, more of that role than that, that free safety position. Yeah. yeah. This is, that's the job he had. I mean, until he got hurt and Lathan ransom, they had to throw him in there. That was exactly what he was doing. So yeah, I'm assuming right now he's second or third string at that role. Whether and, but, he's flexing right now or not. But I do think, but being the second deep safety on the field is different than being the only deep safety where it's like, you're the back line of defense by yourself. You've got to yeah. cover sideline to sideline. And so that Ronnie Hickman, maybe it's like he's, you know, he and Lathan Ransom are doing kind of the same thing. But if Lathan Ransom's kind of doing that job, this is almost like, again, semantics, almost like a three safety look. Is it a three corner, three safety, who, whatever, that then I think you could slide Ronnie Hickman back and say, okay, well, now you're a deep safety, but it's not, you're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. You and Proctor each have half the field here. And so that's, that's a different idea. So I do think there's some possibilities there. But what, what Stephen, you keep pushing on is, Younger guys who are sort of maybe more talented recruits, don't forget about them. And you're pushing on just like you think they could make a move by the end of this year, which is important to keep in mind. Yeah, I just don't want us to get into this, you know, it's this guy's turn. So we're just going to throw him into that role. And really, I'm kind of, you know, in this New Jersey corner because him and Cody Simon, both Jersey guys. But yeah, I want to make sure we understand that this is Ohio State and it's not a situation of, it's just the guy who we've been talking about. Is he ever going to get a chance? This is now his turn. No, he might get jumped over. We might find out that there was a reason why he was blocked the last two or three years. All right. So that's, uh, that's our third down defense. Zach Harrison, Jack Sawyer outside, Tyreek Smith and Haskell Garrett. Inside at tackle, Taraji Mitchell, Craig Young at linebacker, and then the secondary, Cam Brown, Seven Banks, Lathan Ransom, Josh Proctor. And Marcus Williamson with keeping an eye on Ronnie Hickman. Um, that was a good way to do it. Thank you, Andrew, and the 330 for that question. We have another question about where we think the defense will finish ranked overall that I thought we might get to, but we're going to save for a future podcast because that's good enough to do on its own. So we're done with football. I'm just going to say the weird thing because I want to say it. And, uh, uh, you know, that's how this works sometimes. I say weird things that I want to say that nobody else wants to hear. So if you don't want to hear a weird personal thing about Doug, stop right now. This is your last chance. Get out. Three, two. So I'm pooping in a box. I went to the doctor the other day and I'm 47. And I said, I want a colonoscopy because I've had too many people younger than me in my life that I know that have had 
things happen uh, with colon cancer and I don't want to wait till 50 and the new guidelines, a lot of medical stuff is coming in on like 45 now. And my doctor said probably at some point in the near future, insurance companies will start paying for colonoscopies at, at 45 instead of at 50. You're, they're not there yet. You got to fight with them. But this, this is the thing. There's a commercial on this all the time. You guys have been watching football and the poop in a box commercial comes on. So it's like, I'm not bringing it out of nowhere. It's not like people never talk about this. It's color guard. It's the thing of like, they color send guard, you a yeah. box, colon not guard. Col- what is not it? color guard. <laughs> I've literally <laughs> never seen this commercial before in my life. We're not watching the same same shows then. I guess you're not watching shows not. that 47-year-old <laughs> men watch. Well, it's not just that you poop in a box. It's that you then mail it to your doctor. Like you then go like put a stamp on it and put it in the down the chute and send it off to the doctor. I I I think mail carriers are the unappreciated, like just gladiators of society. I'm not taking your poop in the box and, and no, I'm not taking that package if I'm a mail carrier. Sorry. So I do. It is. I have to send it back through UPS. So it at least is not a government employee that has to deal with it. More like who P.S. Yeah. You poo us. All right. Uh, So, (laughs) but it's important. Like, it's important. People always talk about colonoscopies and how it's important. So it is, it's like a reminder of like, I guess like medically, everybody's like, yeah. Even if you don't have like any necessarily hereditary things that you're more prone to it, you actually should be doing this at 45, not 50. But like, we're on the path to that. We're not, we're not there yet. But this thing is like 97% effective, my doctor said, or, and that if it, something pops, if you come up positive, then you go get a colonoscopy. If you come up negative, he said, then you're good to go for three years. And then, then I'll be 50. I can get a real colonoscopy. So, um, so my box came. It's Friday. My box is here. And, uh, and I'm going to go poop in it. So like, that's what I'm doing today. And, uh, and I'm excited. Day, about huh? it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I just got How big pick- is that box? not big enough. Uh, <laughs> and so, but I'm excited because I want to know, because again, I had a, I had a friend who I went to college with who died of colon cancer, like last year, like, at, like f- he got it when he's like 46. It's like, if you don't want to wait till you're 50. And another friend of mine um, is dealing with it, who is much younger than me. And so like, it's just crazy. So this is, uh, you know, I was going to say no, no muss, no fuss. I actually imagine there's a little bit of muss and a little bit of fuss, but there's no pain, right? I'm just doing what I do nine times a day anyway. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to pick one of those and put what? it in a box. Did you, did you tell kidding. your doctor about the nine? <laughs> <laughs> I think they healthy. could probably arrange those tests if you can prove nine times a day. Yeah. This so is the longest conversation I've ever had about a colonoscopy ever. So I mean, listen, people don't want to talk about poop. I get it. But like everybody does it. It's important. And so if you are around my age and you've been thinking about this, and I know there are at least a couple of people out there who are probably around my age, listen to Buckeye talk. I'll let you know how it goes. Cause it seems like a good in-between option because I just did not want to sit around and wait until 50 when like the medical science I think is saying, don't, we don't want people to sit around and wait till 50, but the insurance companies have not caught up with it. And so I mean, how do you put a price on your health? So, like, I'm going to see how this goes, and, uh, and I'll keep you posted. And, again, on the tech subscription, we have, like, groups now that you can break off. We call the nonsense group stuff, 
we have a hoops group for basketball and I will make a poop group. And if you want to, for the texters, if you want a detailed explanation of how this went, all six of you that sign up, if you'd like to be part of this group, respond with poop. Uh, we'll do that for the text subscription. We're not actually going to do that, but it was another poop joke that I could make. So listen, it's real life. And that's what we talk about on Buckeye Talk. So I would just encourage anybody who's in my age range, maybe think about it because I think it's a good in-between step. And I'm not sure there's any reason for any of us to just sit back and wait until 50 um, when everybody kind of knows that's kind of not what you should be doing anymore. All right. We'll see you on Tuesday with the new Buckeye Talk, five days a week. We appreciate you guys listening. In the meantime, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>